The Holy Gospel according to Mark. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them coming and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When Jesus and the disciples had crossed over, they came to a land at Gennesaret and moored the boat. When they got out of the boat, people at once recognized them and rushed about that whole region and began to bring the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. The Gospel of the Lord. I can't tell you how many times I heard it growing up. All right, Bo, we're getting ready to go to church. Now remember, the church is God's house, so you have to be on your very best behavior. God's house? Needless to say, I had questions. Why does God need a house? What about all those other people who go to different churches? Does God live there too? Wow. God sure has a lot of houses. God must be really rich. Now, the house of God that I grew up going to was really, really big. And I have to say, I thought God had a pretty sweet house. I remember the shiny black stone tile in the hallways outside the fellowship hall. And all those life-sized wooden statues of Old Testament prophets and kings. King David among them. Ah, King David, the warrior king and dancing queen of the Hebrew Bible. <laughs> when we meet him in our passage from 2 Samuel today, he's having a pretty relaxing, chill afternoon laid back in his sweet, kingly house of cedar which makes me think of living in a closet, but that's another sermon for another day. <laughs> but he's there with his friend Nathan, 
talking theology, and finally enjoying a bit of rest from his enemies. And it seems that David almost feels a little sorry for God. Here he is in his royal cedarwood house. But the Ark of the Covenant, the outward and visible sign of God's presence with God's people, God was moving about in tent and in tabernacle, going around like a nomad, like a pilgrim, with no place to lay his head, no crib for his bed, if you will. Now clearly, if David is going to live in such a fancy house, God should have one too. And after first telling David to do all that he has in mind, Nathan later receives a communication from God that God has something different in mind. The short version. What made you think I wanted a house? When have I ever asked anyone for a house? Traveling about in tent and in tabernacle among my people is just fine for me. Sure, one day one of your descendants is going to build a temple to my name, but here's what I am going to do. I'm going to make of you a house. The house of David. Now it seems from the very beginning of time that God has never been content to stay cooped up in the house all day. God wants to be out in the streets, traveling and sojourning among the people of God, those ones whom God so loves. God wants to dwell in the midst of the people, human beings created in God's very image. No, God doesn't want to hang out at home, secluded in some cedar palace fit for a politician. God wants to dwell with us in a wondrous, magnificent, luminous body. A broken, messy, and often confusing body. Bodies, just like Harith Snoop Augustus. Bodies just like those children separated from their adult caregivers at the border. Bodies of women for too long have been claimed as possessions by men eager to have power over them. And if you missed the story of Michal in last week's reading from 2 Samuel, go back and read it. There was a lot there, and I missed it too. God comes to dwell in bodies, in black bodies and brown bodies, in trans bodies and in queer bodies, in straight bodies and in bodies of all shapes, sizes, and colors. God, the wisdom from on high who created all things. God, the word, was made flesh and dwelt among us. The Word was made mortal flesh in Jesus, born of the house of David. In Jesus, we can know just how much God loves the whole world, 
just how much God will not dwell in some inaccessible remote house. In Jesus, we can know how God risked it all out of love for us. In Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. In Jesus' battered, beaten, broken, and yet, and yes, resurrected body. That body, that temple that was destroyed, yet rebuilt in three days. So what does this mean for all of us? We who receive Christ's body at this table, we who receive Christ's blood, we who become what we receive, the body and blood of Christ broken and poured out for the love and the sake of the world. What does this mean for us? Here, here in this holy house where we worship and praise, where we come to rest and to pray, where we come away to receive nourishment, here in this holy house, as beautiful and wonderful as it is, and as much as we desperately need what we find here, here in this holy house is not where we are meant to stay. No. Like God, we are called to move about in tent and tabernacle, a nomadic, a pilgrim people, called to go out, to dwell with God's people in the world, to teach, to advocate, to forgive, to heal. Thomas Merton, the famous Trappist monk and writer, he found his monastic vocation, his vocation as a monk, transformed in a moment when he understood God's call to take the contemplation and prayer he experienced as a monk out into the world. In his book, Conjectures of a Guilty Bystander, Thomas Merton says, In Louisville, at the corner of Fourth and Walnut, in the center of the shopping district, I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all these people, that they were mine and I was theirs, and that we could not be alien to one another, even though we are total strangers. It was like waking from a dream of separateness, of spurious self-isolation in a special world, the world of renunciation and supposed holiness. This sense of liberation from an illusory difference was such a relief and a joy to me that I almost laughed out loud. I have the immense joy of being a man, a human, a member of a race in which God himself, God herself became incarnate. 
as if the sorrows and the stupidities of the human condition could overwhelm me, now I realize what we all are. And if only everybody could realize this. But it cannot be explained. There is simply no way of telling people that they are all walking around shining, shining like the sun. Shining like the sun. Each one of us shining, still sparkling with baptismal water and shimmering with fragrant oil. Called, claimed, and freed by God. Members of God's own household. Called, claimed, and freed to go.